Again, that's uh, Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can pick up a pew Bible underneath the seat and turn to page 842. If you found the scripture, please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hears his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So today and next week, I'm going to be speaking from John chapter 10, the third and fourth I am statements of Jesus. Um, Today, we're touching upon I am the door, or in the old translations, often the sheep gate. Um, Chapter 10, verses uh, 1 through 21, actually is under the heading of I am the good shepherd. But the great I am statement, actually, there are two in this passage, and we're going to look at the, the third, which um, Jesus calls himself, I am the door. Um, now, in order to understand chapter 10, you have to actually go back to chapter 9, and in chapter 9, you might be familiar, um, the religious leaders actually criticized Jesus because Jesus happened to heal a man who was born blind, lived all his life without being able to see, and finally heals him. But he happened to heal him on a Sabbath day. And these religious leaders, the Pharisees, are unable to look past the miracle, but they're just harassing Christ, Jesus Christ, for his perceived violation of the law. Now, with what happened, the man who is healed, he's eventually excommunicated from the synagogue because what? He believes in Jesus. He defends Jesus before these rulers. He even rebukes these religious leaders. But at the end of the chapter, Jesus encounters this man who was once blind. He tells him who he is, that he is the Son of Man. And the Son of Man actually is not a word for being a human, but it's really referencing back to Daniel. He's the judge. He's the one to come to judge all people. And he bows down and worships Christ. And you know what? Jesus receives that. He receives a worship that is given to him. Any other human beings, whether prophet, apostle, 
would have rejected, as we see later on um, Book of Acts. And these religious leaders' refusal to believe in Jesus and recognize Jesus for who he truly is, they're essentially leading people astray, away from the king, the Messiah, that they've been waiting for. And instead, what were they doing? Like many prophets of old, they were actually serving their own self-interests. This miracle of healing a man who's been blind all his life was an amazing display of power and goodness of Jesus. There's nothing that this man could do to repay him, and no human being could replicate something of this sort. And the unfortunate reality and response of these Pharisees are they leave angry. And Jesus sees them for the blindness that they have because they're not willing to worship Christ. They're not even ready to admit that they're sinners. It's in this context that today's passage comes right after. There's no indication of change of time, setting, or people. So I think it's pretty safe to assume that Jesus, when he goes into the third and fourth I am statement, is actually responding to what just happened with this blind man who's healed, and the Pharisees' response in contrast to this man's response. Um, Today, I'm going to look at the passage divided into two sections. The first six verses, we're going to look at Jesus the shepherd. He doesn't say, I am the good shepherd, but he pretty much identifies as a shepherd who is good. And we'll look at more next week when we officially look at the great I am statement of Jesus the good shepherd. And then verses 7 through 10, Jesus the door, or Jesus the sheep gate. So the, um, <clears throat> back in Jesus' time, most towns actually had a kind of a common communal sheep pen. Local shepherds, after all day of shepherding, would bring their sheep and just bring them into this high wall protection, and they would pay a gatekeeper so that the shepherd could rest. And usually... In the morning, when the shepherd is ready to start all over and take his sheep out, he will come and call his sheep by name, and um, the sheep will come out. Now, the gatekeeper will know who the shepherds are, and would only give that kind of access to the shepherds that they know, that they're aware of. And the sheep, because they know the voice, would respond. One of the main things for a gatekeeper being paid high, um, to be hired to do the job is actually to keep a watch in the night because there are thieves and robbers who would sneak and try to break in or climb the wall and steal a sheep. Um, there are two different words that are used here. One um, Greek word means to one who steals. The other one, there's a bit of a violence involved into it. Is one who attacks using violence. So basically, in English, a thief and a robber is for us the same thing. But um, here we, we see Jesus pointing out that these people who come in as thieves and robbers are unauthorized people who come to steal and brutalize a sheep. And there's a contrast, obviously, right? A shepherd is different. Shepherd comes through the door, is acknowledged by the gatekeeper, 
is known by the sheep, calls the sheep by name, and leads them out. In contrast to these unauthorized thieves and robbers who mean only harm. Shepherd of their own sheep obviously don't need to climb a wall to get access, just as owner of your home. You're not going to need to climb a drain pipe to enter in. If you see someone climbing through a drain pipe, then 9 out of 10, is they're up to no good. And these thieves and robbers and intruders were basically doing that is the point. When we read this passage, when we hear Jesus talking about these religious leaders as thieves and robbers, it's really hard to not think of other Old Testament passages. Probably one of the passages you can think of most is from Ezekiel chapter 34, where God just really goes at the shepherd of Israel, these religious leaders who are not caring for the sheep. Instead, what are they doing? They're slaughtering the choice animals. They're clothing themselves with nice wool, and they're not taking care. In Ezekiel 34, 4, um, the Word of God says, You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally, the language that we just heard. This is a common theme in the Old Testament, where both the Lord and his servant of David, the eventual lineage of David, is going to serve as the ultimate solution to this problem. Ezekiel 34, later on, verses 10 through 16, the Lord God says, I will rescue my flock. I will bring them out from the nations. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel. I will tend my sheep. I will bind the injured and strengthen the weak. I will shepherd the flock with justice. And he continues later on, verse 25, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them, he will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God. My servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of wild beasts so that they may live in the desert and sleep in the forest in safety. This theme, God's servant, David, ruling over his people with the covenant of peace, this everlasting covenant, serving as a shepherd, comes back at the famous chapter, Ezekiel 37, in the Valley of Dry Bones. You see, religious leaders back then and back in Jesus' time here were interested only in stealing, killing, and destroying. And Jesus is saying, he came to save, to save the sheep. And as we'll see later on next week, he came to give his life for the very sheep. The shepherd who's been prophesied to come, as we read in Ezekiel, in the line of David, Jesus is he. In the morning when the shepherd comes to get his sheep, 
there will be a bunch of different sheep from different shepherds. And shepherd would come, check in with the porter or the gatekeeper, and once checked out to be legit, then would begin to call the sheep by name. There's a deep sense of familiarity between the shepherd and the sheep. They know each other. The shepherd knows the sheep, and the sheep, as dumb as they are, they're considered as one of the dumbest animals in the animal kingdom. They still know their shepherd's voice and only, thank God, follow their shepherd's voice. Palestinian shepherds would often name their sheep after their kind of characteristics. So they have spots, they'll call them spotty, or long nose, or black ear, or fluffy, whatever. And there's this intimacy that we get to see between the shepherd and the sheep. But it's not just that. I mean, when we read the entire scripture, we know even as we rejoice over the, the Roe versus Wade, um, we know that this intimacy that God has with his called chosen people goes far beyond, far before. In the famous Psalm 139, the psalmist speaks these words for you, referring God, form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them. The days that were formed for me, and as yet, there was none of them. Jesus knows us in the deepest way. He knows our joys and delights that we are celebrating. He knows our sorrows and failures, our hurts. He knows our present, our past. He knows our unrealized longings that we're still waiting for. He knows our quirks. And he calls us because he knows us. You know, in the West, typically, you, you probably see um, the shepherds driving the sheep. You'll have a kind of a sheepdog that chases the sheep from behind. In um, Middle East, it's actually reversed. You don't have sheepdogs that are actually pushing them from the back. You have the shepherd who's leading them from the front. And as a shepherd leads from the front, it reminds us of a relationship between a master and a disciple who follows. And not only that, when a shepherd leads and the sheep follows because they know who the shepherd is, as a shepherd leads, he's checking out the terrain. He's looking out other predators because he wants to make sure there are none. He wants to make sure he's leading them to green pastures. He wants to make sure that he removes any sort of harm way. And if there's a dangerous path, he leads them to a different direction. You see, Jesus, as we were looking at some of the past I am statements, the great I am leading a new exodus to a new promised land, the eternal land of heaven. Here as the shepherd, 
he's going before, leading and heading to the cross, ready to lay down his life for the sheep that are following him. So that any threat of the penalty of God's law will be driven away to those who do trust him and follow him. He went before us even into the valley of death so that his sheep may find green pastures of heaven awaiting. The good news is that his sheep will only follow him, not a stranger. Just as that formerly blind man chose not to follow and trust those religious leaders, but Jesus. Verse 5, they do not know the voice of strangers, thank God. But the question is, why do some in the crowd kind of see what happened, like see the healing, and like this blind man, believe that he is a Messiah and worship him, even at the cost of getting kicked out of the house of worship in the synagogue, while others who see the same thing, see the miraculous power of something that they've never seen before, but end up looking at Jesus, do not recognize him for the God, son of man he is, don't want to worship him, but reject him and attack him for doing this on a Sabbath day. Well, the sheep that belong to Jesus will not be misled by the voice of these Pharisees, religious leaders. But those who don't understand, don't hear, see but don't perceive, hear but don't understand, are because they're not his own. The Father hasn't given them to him. In 2022, how do we hear God's voice? I mean, people sometimes say strange things, claiming to hear God's voice. But the clearest way that the scripture tells us how do we hear the voice of our shepherd is through the word that he gave us, the holy scriptures. 66 books, old and new. Because all scripture is breathed by God and it's given to us, and it's profitable for our edification and sanctification. So his sheep, how are we marked? We're marked with this desire to read his word, to hear the word taught, to study the word. How else would you Follow your shepherd. A couple weeks ago, we went through the catechism question 67, and the question was asking, what is effectual calling? Well, it's the work of God's almighty power and grace by which God invites his chosen ones, and it's God who draws them to Jesus Christ by his word and spirit, in his time, enlightening, and it's God who, the Holy Spirit who's enlightening their minds so that they are saved, renewing and powerfully determining their wills so that what? 
they are thus made willing and freely able to answer to the call and respond, to accept and embrace the grace offered to them. That is effectual calling. And that's what we see happening, and that's what we see Jesus teaching here in John 10. And yet those who are not his, they're not able to understand, as we see in verse 6. The opponents of Jesus do not understand. They don't understand, and they reject. But you, here, this morning, you have no reason not to understand. Because we are we're given the whole book. And he invites you, Christ invites you to respond now because there's no better time to respond to the call than today because no one knows what tomorrow awaits. Nobody. Come to Jesus with your sins because no one else can lead you into communion back to the Father who created you for that. You know, Jesus in this passage talks about the motives of these Israel's false religious leaders. They're into spiritual violence and own self-interest, their own gain. And instead of meeting out and meeting the man, they excommunicates the man who spent his entire life unable to see and throughout the Gospels, Jesus' most severe rebukes are actually aimed at false leaders and teachers because they are the biggest threats for the well-being of the people, whether in the Old Testament, New Testament, and now. We live in a time when it's not very fashionable for Christians to criticize anyone and expose false teaching. People would say, oh, you're being negative or divisive. But as we see here, shepherd's duty is to actually defend the flock against wolves, protect them. When you listen to our Dear Church Gather and Scattered podcast, by the way, this, this week is coming out Tuesday evening, because Monday is July 4th. Um, and when Jesus, Jesus, when Pastor Eugene sometimes talk about and points out false teachings, he does sometimes, it's because he's obeying the call to shepherd. Jesus is the true good shepherd. We are small shepherds. Elders are shepherds who are to protect. And as often Apostle Paul does in the letters, He's pointing out false teachers because it's a real threat. He's doing the job of defending against the wolves. You know, false teachers possess false teaching to false motives to false methods, from mainly for personal gain. And the extremes are these health and wealth prosperity gospel teachers who pocket so much, and they pocket the money buying yachts, planes, and their egos in the name of doing gospel work. 
and people flocking, following, giving money with a false promise of material wealth and health. Brothers and sisters, these false teaching, false motives, false methods are probably perhaps the greatest threat to Christianity in America and the world probably because it's one of the fastest branch of Christian so-called faith that's growing in the world, if you can call it Christian. I don't think Jesus would call it. He would be the one pointing out, attacking. Every quarter when we come together and we recite the covenant, one of the last statements is when we are at a season we have to leave this church, finding another church, what do we look for? We exhort you to find a church with shepherds who have biblical character, godliness, pursuing that, and a church that teaches sound expositional teaching. Not looking for churches that are just fun, that are big in size, good with music, or just things you're looking for. What is most important is finding churches with shepherds who are following the true good shepherd and the way he does it and what he teaches. When we come to the second part, so that's the, the shepherd. Let's move into the second part when Jesus says he is the, the gate or the door. Verses 7 through 10, um, you know, the first six verses, he clearly identifies himself as a shepherd, although he doesn't explicitly say so. And now we shift to him identifying, I am the door. Um, meaning he's the, he's the only way for salvation. He's the only way for reconciliation with God. And he kind of says something, you know, that's kind of harsh. Like those who came before, all these um, are just bad. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm going to talk about it a little later because there are other prophets, whether Jeremiah, Isaiah, or Ezekiel, for example, that God sent, who clearly God used. So that's not like excluding everybody. But there are plenty of prophets, priests, who represented God, but didn't do what they were supposed to do. They were, in fact, just thieves living as one instead of protecting feeding, nourishing people of God to grow in God. They promised one salvation that they could not actually follow through because only Jesus is the one who can truly give abundant life as a true shepherd. One um, Old Testament scholar by the name of George Adam Smith, long time ago, was traveling in the Palestine, uh, Palestinian area and met a shepherd <clears throat> and his sheep and realized, you know, it was end of the day and he was bringing his sheep in. Now, in the beginning, I talked about in towns and villages, they have a communal kind of um, space that they share where they hire someone. Now, if you're in the country and you know, you, you don't have the means or the time to come back to your town. There were these smaller areas with four walls that you could bring your sheep in for the night. 
And he noticed that this Palestinian shepherd was just bringing him, bring his sheep into this little small area, all his sheep, and noticed that there was no door. It's like, and the Palestinian um, shepherd was telling the guys, like, well, I'm the door. So after all the sheep will go in, in this smaller area where there's no gatekeeper, the shepherd will lie down at that spot where all the sheep went through. So the sheep would be safe and they are saved. They won't be able to leave unless they go through the shepherd and no animal, no wolf or anything will be able to get to the sheep unless they go through the shepherd. So in the first part, the first six verses, we're talking about a communal image of you know, shepherds coming in to get access to their own sheep. Here now we have a smaller, different kind of country um, space. And Jesus is using this image saying, I am the door. As a shepherd would lay down and be the door, giving safety and saving his sheep. He is a protector. He is a provider. But you have to go through. And he's the one who gives safety. There are many who were abusive. In verse 8, again, repeating the language of thieves and robbers who came before. But as I said, you know, whether Ezekiel who spoke about these shepherds and prophesied of the good shepherd who is to come. Other prophets like Isaiah, um, the passage that Pastor Eugene read from, the famous suffering servant, Isaiah 53, to Jeremiah, who just had a tough ministry, and other faithful servants in history are not actually included in this list, uh, uh, the condemnation here, all who came before me. But one thing that is clear here is that there's this exclusivity that he is the one gate. He's the sole, only way. Like, how useless would it be to have a shelter like this if there are two openings? <laughs> that would be ridiculous, right? And it would be just as ridiculous to say there are many ways to God. That's what Jesus is saying. Later on, we'll get to chapter 14, where we'll hear Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. We have lived through centuries of people who are seeking, waiting, politicking for humanistic, political, economic saviors, and now sexual saviors so that people can live as they want instead of, as we celebrate this week, God's design and what true man and woman, what marriage is supposed to be like. Those places actually don't exist, as the word utopia literally means. And liberals, liberal Christians, um, would say that it's intolerant and sensitive to deny salvation by other ways. So what do they do? 
they worship with other people of other religion as if that's going to actually solve anything. The claims of Jesus Christ as the gate is contested back then by the Pharisees and religious leaders because they reject him. And there are many now who reject the claims of Jesus Christ as the gate, the sheep gate, the only door to the Father. While the exclusivity is narrow, one thing we see is the broadness in what we hear in verse 9. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastor. God does not respect persons, who he is or where she's from. He doesn't care about your race, your education, your social or economic position, whether you achieve much or not, your good deeds or not. Whether you're a quiet person who perhaps in the eyes of the world haven't committed any kind of a notorious sin, and you realize before God's holy law that you are a sinner, or maybe you are a person who lived most of your life selfishly, mainly for yourself, taking advantage of others, or was taken advantage of. Maybe you dabble with religion but never truly committed to Christ, or you just experienced lots of hardship in life, yet you finally recognize Jesus as a savior from God, like this blind man. Or maybe you even mocked God, you reviled God. But maybe today's a day you hear him calling you. Because if you trust in him, as the Gospel of John repeats again, if you believe in him, you will be saved. If you believe in what he has come to do, what he has done on that cross, how he's leading us to new exodus, to a new promised land, to eternal life in heaven. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And there's no better time for that than right now. But you must enter. You personally must enter. Just as you personally must eat of Jesus when he uses language, you have to drink of him, come to him. It's something that you have to do and no one else can do for you. You have to enter through Christ. Just as Noah in the time when the great flood was going to be sent, when the human race was going to get wiped out, and only Noah and his family was saved because they entered into the ark. Only those who have entered into the salvation through faith in Jesus will escape the wrath of God. In the Old Testament, there was this beautiful opportunity for people who accidentally, not intentionally murdered, accidentally killed people. There were these cities of refuge that were set up in Moses' time. And you could flee to these cities to escape judgment from whoever's coming after you and avoid that punishment. It's only when we flee into Christ can we escape the vengeance of God's divine justice against our sin. Yes, people try to escape from tax collectors or switch nationality, get uh, 
change citizenship to pay less tax. Yes, people escape situation, um, leave town when you have a bad reputation to start over. Yes, people quit jobs because they're sick and tired of their harsh bosses. But at the end, can any one of us run away and try to escape from the justice of holy God? The Son of Man is the judge who is going to judge us when he comes the second time. And there's only way that we get to avoid that wrath of God from the holy, holy, holy God against our sin and sinful nature and all the sins we've committed is only through Jesus Christ. It's only then that we can find true pasture as he leads us and feeds us. He says, I am the door in verse 9. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. As a shepherd would lead to find pasture, find water, find good area to rest. It's the thief who comes to steal, kill, and ruin. And Jesus feeds us, and he feeds us with the spiritual food. And it's, and it's through his word that we come to hear as he instructs us, teaches us, Verse 10 is actually one verse that many um, prosperity gospel people use out of context. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, but they confuse. They think of abundance of things, not abundance of life that the true shepherd can give. This word abundantly is a word that is used with a, kind of a mathematical meaning, often kind of like meaning like surplus and it's the same word that's translated as remains when jesus fed the five thousand and you had 12 baskets remaining like surplus will have abundant life when the true shepherd leads when we follow the true shepherd when we follow his words his voice his teaching and follow after him that's when true abundant life awaits us Brothers and sisters, the good shepherd loves his sheep that he would lay down his life on the cross. And it's this good shepherd who's calling out to you, come, follow me. It's this Jesus who says, I am the door. And he offers us entry through faith. And this door isn't something that you look at. That's a nice door. It's not even... A doorstep you can sit at, you have to enter through it. You have to enter through it. And today, today, perhaps, I pray, is a day that you enter through. Trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we live in a time when there are a lot of false shepherds, false teachers who don't teach the truth, have wrong motives, unbiblical methods to woo people. And there's so many people who are 
tempted and led into those paths. Lord, grant us the grace to continue to look to you and to your word, for it is only through your word that we get to hear your voice now more clearly than ever before. And there's just no other way for us to come to the Father except through you. And we are reminded of that. And you invite us. So Lord, Holy Spirit, would you work in our hearts as we get prepared now to come to the table. Would you soften our hearts that we would trust you and repent again. Let's continue now as we take this time to pray before the Lord as we prepare ourselves for the communion.